During the Christian year for all Catholics and for many Protestants, Methodists, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Congregationalists, and other churches, you will hear what's called the lexicon preached. It's the lectionary texts throughout the year that are chosen by a committee somewhere that wants to give the whole narrative flow of the Bible in a way that makes it more of a story. And it's done so by dividing the church year into the season of Advent and Christmas and then Epiphany and then Lent and then Easter, then ordinary time thereafter. As far as I remember, there are only two passages that are read every single year. For the lectionary is a three-year cycle, and they try to get all the different Bible passages in that cycle. But only two are read each year, and the first, of course, is from Luke to the Christmas story of Jesus' birth in a manger. And today is the second the birth of the early church in Jerusalem after Jesus had ascended to God as Father. The birth of Jesus and the birth of the church. Hmm. When Jesus was born, I imagine Joseph slapped him on his behind to help him take his first breath. And with that shock, Jesus breathed in his breath, so filled up his lungs with the breath of God, and Jesus found his voice with that breath and became a viable presence in the world, crying out for food and comfort just like the rest of us. And in this morning's Pentecost passage, when the early church was born, God sent the Holy Spirit to do the slapping, but this time not with the hand of one of the disciples or by Joseph, but with the hand of the, of the sound of the rush of a mighty wind upside their heads. And when that wind came, the Holy Spirit came and breathed on them, giving them breath and voice too, and God's breath and God's voice was heard in a new way through what's called the church. Jesus was born with a slap on the behind the church was born with a slap upside the head. And we celebrate both every single year. And why do we celebrate it? Because it was an unrestrained, universal voice that that church uttered with that Holy Spirit slap a voice that everyone in every land could understand and hear as if divided tongues of fire had appeared among them all and a tongue of fire rested on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in a language that everyone gathered there could hear. Every single nation and every single language. Even, even nations that had gone extinct and hadn't been around for Hundreds of years were named in this to show that this universal voice of the Spirit through those disciples transcended all the limits of race and nationality and gender, even the limits of time. 
And that spirit moved out of the mouths of those disciples and the words they spoke like tongues of fire. And it moved those dry bones of those disciples out of those dusty rooms into the streets of Jerusalem to proclaim the good news with such enthusiasm that people sitting around couldn't figure it out. And some even said cynically, they're just drunk on new wine. You can say what you want, but it was, bre it was breathtaking and it was breath-giving. Turns out the word for breath in Greek is pneuma. It's feminine. It's the same word as spirit, as in Holy Spirit, agio pneuma. Please note, it was not the Holy Spirit that was born that day on Pentecost as if God sent that spirit as a replacement for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God. This this other substance of God, and she, in feminine, existed as one substance with God before anything else existed, just as it was this spirit that blew over the face of the waters in the first verse of Genesis, the spirit of God blew over the face of the waters before God created anything, and those waters were chaos until God spoke the words be still and be ordered. And then there was. And through the six days of creation, God breathed God's voice into that new world order, bringing new order to bear, finalizing in us creatures called human beings who were a little lower than the angels, as our psalm said this morning, with a huge responsibility. And then rested on the seventh day, my sense is that God rested. God just breathed. Breathed in, inhaled, and breathed out. And in the second story of creation, if you, if you look at it, it's, it's a different story entirely, but it's still about breath, about spirit. Before God created the animals and the, and the fish and the birds, God reached down and grabbed a handful of dirt and molded it into a figure a clay figure that did not have life. Dirt, by the way, in Hebrew is Adamah. And the, and the figure God molded into, he called Adam, as in from Adamah, from dirt. And, and, and he picked that figure up and God blew God's breath into the nostrils of that clay figure. And then with God's breath, that figure took life and became our first human creature, according to the story. It was the breath of life, the breath of the spirit, the pneuma. What if every single breath we breathed was holy? Every day we are supposed to take 26,000 breaths, give or take a few, we inhale, and we exhale around 14,000 liters of air a day. And if we live to be 80, on average, we will have breathed 700 breaths. No, 700 million. <laughs> Ideally, we should breathe four to six times a minute.
But when we're anxious or afraid or under attack or excited, we can breathe twice or even four times that many a minute. We're supposed to breathe from our stomachs, but when we get anxious, we breathe from our chests. And that makes us breathe even faster. What if every breath we took was meant to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God? Apparently this breath you see shows up before any word is spoken, for it is the power that gives life, and it is the power that brings speech, words. For there can be no speech, human speech, without breath. Have you ever tried to speak when you were inhaling? You can't do it. It only comes as an exhalation. The Word of God said in creation story, the Word of God said, God breathed God's Word, and that Word brought order into creation and also brought us into flesh. And that Word, we say, that word, we say, became flesh and dwelled with us in grace and truth. The living, breathing, speaking, human-born, crying in a manger, Jesus. So on Pentecost, we celebrate the living, human, breathing, born church, born that day on Pentecost by the presence of the Spirit and breath of God with words that do not divide or hurt or full or full of malice, but instead words of hope. When it's God's breath, it's words of hope and words of love and words of faith and words of reconciliation. Not those words we hear spoken on the floor of Congress. Not those words we hear in those mouths on TV, not those words we hear from tyrants and dictators and power brokers that can include preachers too who we claim often too often to be shouting the only word in the name of Jesus. The Bible makes clear, friends, that what makes us most human is to live in and with the breath of God to breathe in that breath and to use that breath to speak out words of grace. And to breathe in and out like being Christ. And that when we are most human, when we are most human is when we are most spiritual. And when we are most spiritual is when we are most human, fully embodied. But I gotta be careful here. We've got to be careful here, you see, because the Hebrew people did not consider humans or any part of creation a duality between material and spiritual, body and soul. They're one thing with two different parts or substances, but still one thing, the material and the spiritual, both together is what makes us human. In the early church, there was this alternative view called Gnosticism that God was so far above the material and the embodied 
that God was so transcendent and unknowable, only known through an idea or a thought or a reason or the intellect, that, that it created this dualistic understanding of the material and the spiritual that they were really different and in competition with each other, and the Greeks especially, but then the, the new Platonic uh, culture that formed had this real deal about wanting to get out of the world and into the seventh heaven. That's why we have, uh, you know, seven, Saturn and all the planets are named, all the different levels of heaven. And, and to get out of the earth because, you know, the body's kind of, you know, lives, it dies, it has kind of nasty stuff coming out of it sometimes. It's not good. It's not good to be embodied. It's better to be spiritual. But the Bible doesn't say that, friends. The Bible says that the earth and the bodies we live in are as much spiritual as they are material. Not the same but like two sides of the double-sided helix which makes up our DNA, or two parts of the day, light and dark, or breathing in and breathing out. This is not an either-or reality. It is both and. We are both material and spiritual. And so are the heavens and the earth, the Bible says. My goodness. This is why we claim in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the resurrection of the body. Not just our bodies, but every body, all of the body of the earth, all creation. Yes, with our first breath, we might become quasi-autonomous human beings, but with our last breath, we return to the ground, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, dirt to dirt. And we say in hope in the sure and certain resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of what? The body. Not just the soul. And what we believe is that in God's time, God will resurrect a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. That is all of God's total creation. Both material and spiritual in ways that we cannot understand. Don't hold your breath. God wants us to breathe fully and live fully now, not to wait for the end times. This morning's psalm, I love it so much. The heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Or day to day pours forth speech. Night to night declares knowledge, yet there is no speech, nor are there words, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. What, what is the psalmist talking about? That this truth of God's presence and spirit is embodied in all places, the heavens and the firmament day to day, and it, and it is full of awe and wonder. And if, we're, and, if we, and if we let ourselves address it, or it address us, it makes us humble. It makes us humble. I don't need any help being made humble. I gotta tell you, every single day, something makes me humble, and I wish it didn't. 
But humility comes from the word humiliated, which comes from the word humus, which comes from the word dirt, dust. You've heard it said by this preacher, but only because someone said it otherwise, I'm not sure who that I think was wise. He said, real life does not consist in the number of breaths we take, but in the number of breaths that are taken away in awe and wonder. That said, we need to be careful about another truth that the Bible makes, and that is that the material, while infused with the spiritual, the material world is not God. God transcends the material world. God is the creator of it, not just all encompassed in it. God is in it, but the whole totality of what is the cosmos is not the totality of God. That view is called pantheism. Biblical Hebrew thought you could never contain God in anything material that is. Now, there are some romantics who want us to say that, you know, spiritual and material are all so cozy and nature really, really has a conscience and we can learn to live in harmony with nature. And I got to tell you, nature will kill us in a heartbeat. <laughs> Remember that poor guy in the 1990s who decided to move to, uh, to, to move up north and live with the with the grizzlies. He thought he could live in harmony with the grizzlies in Alaska and he lasted, I don't know, three days. <laughs> I found this the hard way. I applied for a Lilly Foundation scholarship and I had to write a pretty extensive paper on what makes my heart sing to get the, to get the grant. It was a $50,000 grant to do whatever makes my heart sing. It took me three years to figure it out. And what I finally figured out was I want to learn to see the world in a different way than through my left-brained, cognitive, rational, reasonable, wordy self. Because that's all I do. I deal with words. I want to see the world like an artist sees it. And so, and so with that money, I, I got a bunch of art supplies, and I got some art lessons, and I read some art books, and I began to see that, you know what? Artists see the world differently than writers do. Uh, the, the way an artist sees the world is fascinating. We look at it and let's just assume that's what it looks like, but artists look at it for what it truly is and then paint, paint, paint that. So I, I'm gonna learn to be an artist. So we planned this month-long trip to France, a week in Paris, two weeks in Provence, another week back in France, and when we got there, you're not gonna believe it, there was a Van Gogh exhibit at Musée d'Orsay with all the Van Goghs from all, almost all of them from all over the world, which we saw twice while we were there the first week. And then we moved to Provence and in, into Arles and, and there the brand new Van Gogh Museum had just been opened and all the Van Goghs that were not in Paris were in Arles and I got to see almost all the rest. And I learned quickly that I am no Van Gogh. <laughs> I also learned quickly that I'm not an artist. <laughs> it is so hard. 
Part of the process was not just to learn how to see the world differently, but to learn how to see the world, to connect to the material. And so I called a friend of mine, um, his name was Ed Taylor, he happens to be the husband of the famous Barbara Brown Taylor, and I knew Ed was a, was a Lakota shaman. He was actually an engineer from Georgia Tech, but he became a Lakota shaman later as he grew into his spirituality. And I'd gone to a couple of, uh, uh, of Ed's events, um, uh, and I had gotten close to him, and I knew that he did this thing called a vision quest. And I thought, maybe if I do a vision quest, I can learn to reconnect to the earth and the world uh, more, uh, more deeply. So I called up Ed and said, I want to do a vision quest. Can I do one with you? And he said, uh, yeah. Are you sure? I said, yeah. He said, uh, well, we've got one on Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. This was 19, no, 2014, nine years ago. And, uh, and you can do a three-day vision quest or a two-day vision quest or a one-day vision quest. It's your choice. I said, well, what do most people do? He said, I'm not telling you. It's your choice. Okay, I'm moderate, so I'll do a two-day vision quest. He goes, all right. Now, to do it, you have to get 100 pieces of cloth, four inches by four inches, red, white, yellow, and black, and you have to get a bunch of tobacco, and you have to put a pinch of tobacco in each cloth, and you have to say a prayer over that cloth, and then you have to tie it together at the top, and then you have to tie that cloth to a string, and you need to do that alternatively with each color, and, and, and then that will be your prayer cloth vigil around, uh, that you've given around your encampment when you do the vision quest. Well, the vision quest is, it turns out, that you go up on a place by yourself for 12, well, excuse me, 24 hours one night, or 48 hours two nights, or 72 hours three nights, and you just sit there. You can't leave your camp unless you have to relieve yourself. You're enclosed by your prayer request and you have no water and no food for the length of time you're on the vision quest. You have a blanket or a sleeping bag. You have a knife for some reason and you have, and you have a container. And, and uh, and I said, what kind of container? He says, well, probably, pre preferably a metal one, like a, a metal container. You get it loads. I said, all right. So uh, I, I get there, and, you know, we start out with prayers, and I'm kneeling at, at, I'm kneeling at the shaman's feet. There were two of them there. And, and I'm kneeling at Ned's feet, and he says, what do you want us to pray for? Because we're going to all be down there. There are like seven or eight of them down there uh, doing the holy fire uh, in the sweat, beside the sweat lodge, which we also started with. And, and we're going to be praying for you the whole time. So who are going to be praying for? And I said, this is so steep. I said, I want you to pray that I can, that I can, I can get closer to nature. That I can get, that I want to get close, I really want to get closer to the ground to connect, to become more one with it. Ed looked at me and said, are you sure you want us to pray for that? Uh, yeah. 
He said, okay. So he takes us uh, up in the uh, motorized vehicle and I find my camp and it's up on this hill and on his farm and it's under a bunch of trees and over to the side was this huge field of uh, wheat and, and I see there are blue, one of those blue tarps like you put over a house when a tree hits the roof, you know, and it's sort of covering this like tiny little igloo of limbs and that's where I'm going to be sleeping. And he comes out and he says, let me see your prayer. Also, I pull them out and they're like red, white, blue, and red, white, yellow, black, red, white, yellow, black. Ned goes, what is that? I said, well, you told me to do it alternately. He goes, I meant 100 red, 100 yellow, 100 white, 100 black. He started laughing and says, thank goodness the gods have a sense of humor. So with prayer, we put it out, and then he leaves me, he and the other shaman, and there I am. And I, I, I go in my little tent, and I put my little blanket down. I come back out. It's 10 o'clock in the morning, and I don't know what to do. I can do nothing. I've got to stay in my little area, and I don't even have a place to sit down. Oh, the metal bucket. I had the metal bucket. Somebody I heard brought a plastic bucket, didn't work. I had the metal bucket, I turned it upside down and I sat on it. And I sat, and I sat. And it seemed like I sat for 15 years. <laughs> I, I watched everything I could watch nature-wise. I watched ants crawling around on the leaves. I, I looked up and I saw, I, I, I saw a, a condor bird, you know, the kind that likes to come down and eat dead flesh <laughs> and I thought oh no that's a sign because what you're supposed to get on your vision quest is whatever animal comes to you is your is your token it's your uh, uh, totem when the when the animal comes it it is a gift to you so to get an eagle like whoa you know that's at the top of the totem but you could get a bear or you could get a squirrel or you could get any kind of bobcat and and so I'm waiting, I'm waiting for my animal to come. All day long I wait, and all I get is this yellow jacket that follows me around, <laughs> just buzzes around me all day long, and this, and this bird flying above, waiting for flesh to eat. <laughs> and then I get into my bed that night as soon as it was dark, and I'm thinking, I've got two nights of this, and Two and another day and a half. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I lie down, and the next thing I know, I am on the top of a black ant bed. <laughs> now, black ants don't bite, but they crawl. As soon as I did that, I heard this thing over the mountains come rolling. <laughs> it's thunder. And the next thing I know, that thunder's above and on me, and it is lightning everywhere, and I'm under a bunch of trees. And I was told you're not supposed to be under trees in a lightning storm, so I just said, to heck with this. I'm getting out of my little precious little camp. I'm going out there in the field and lie down, not under the trees. I got rained on and lightning stormed an hour and a half. I was getting close to nature. <laughs> and the next day, same yellow jacket, same bird, Three different storms came rumbling over the mountains <laughs> that next day. 
I decided I was going to take my knife and dig a hole where the ant bed was to get them out of there. But what I ended up doing, of course, was only creating more ants on the surface. So I had to go back into my little place that was supposedly watertight but not and sleep through the night, which I didn't, to wake up the next day giving thanks to God that I made it through and then finally God, they're going to come back and pick me up at 10. But right about 10, I guess, I started hearing thunder again and another storm came, which meant they didn't come to pick me up till noon. And I was spent. So I'm going to get back to nature. The spirit I got, by the way, I discovered that night when I finally got to a friend's house to take a shower. I had two ticks. That was my spirit animal. <laughs> you can't really put a tick on a totem pole. You know, when I do a funeral, whether it's ashes in our memorial garden or, or the casket in a, in a funeral home area, a graveyard, when I do that, I, I like to say the words of commendation from ashes to ashes and dust to dust in the sure and certain hope of our Lord Jesus Christ in the resurrection. When I do it, I, I, I tell them that this is this really cool creation story. I told you earlier about God reaching down into the dust and the dirt and creating the, the sculpture and blowing, and there wasn't life until God blew breath into it, and then there was man, and, and that our words from dust to dust and dirt to dirt sounds so, so finite. And, and I say, but remember, it was God's breath blown in to that to that dust that created life. And just as when we die, we exhale, it is our last respiration, our last breath. In life, we're given our first, and at, at death, we have our last. Just as we do that, there's this old Chinese proverb that goes, death is God's in-breath. Don't you love that? God's breath that brought us into life breathes us back in. God, death is God's in-breath. Our last expiration is God's inhalation of us back into God's self. And then I say, you know, it's not, the, it, it's not that we just become then one in the great God consciousness of things like a drop of water into an ocean. No, because just as God has breathed us back in, we are given the promise of the resurrection of the body that God will breathe us back out into a new body, a new body, just as God will breathe out the heavenly body. From dust to dust and ashes to ashes, it sounds so final. But when we remember the Spirit of God that brings life out of a valley of dry bones and the Spirit of God that uses dust to create who we are, it is a holy mystery. I wonder then if God or Jesus, when we are resurrected, will have to slap us on our behinds to get us to breathe in that new life. If so, hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Amen.